You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. See, the why behind the Oaks Project is it's not about this generation. It's about the next generation and the generation that comes after that and that comes after that. And the goal is to be a strong church that will be in this community that way outlasts all of our lifespans and all of God's people said, amen. That's what we're here to do. That's where we're in the season uh, four is to pray. That's the key right now to pray. Two weeks, we'll come back in December 10th and, and we'll bring our commitment card. If you are visiting, I want to pause quickly and say welcome to Cypress Creek Church. My name is Jose and I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor. And we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior, and that's Jesus. And we are in the midst of these 40 days of prayer where we're praying and asking God what he would have each of our individual families commit to giving over a two-period time so that we can build a beautiful multi-purpose building that will serve our future generations. And then, of course, who's excited about that park and all those pickleball games to the glory of God that will reach our community after defeat and you can share life, the highs and the lows, and uh, do this thing called Life Together. That's the vision. If you go on that guide, ccc.guide, can we put that QR code up there? Uh, There is a lot of great resources for you. Last week, we talked about stewardship, wise financial stewardship, and it's so important. Maybe this is an opportunity for you and your family to get some things in order so that you can give. And and on that, you click the Oaks Project tab at the top, and there's actually another commitment calculator. You can start playing with numbers, see what giving over a two-period of time uh, looks like for your family. But again, the key word is prayer. Here's a a fun fact. Since the beginning of the Oaks Project, when the overseers were here, I haven't had a single meeting about how much to give with anybody in the church. That is both exciting and incredibly nerve-wracking because I do not know what we will come up with in December 10th, and it's going to be so Fun, mark my words, remind me December 17th, fun to see what we can do together because that's what this is about. It's not about one, two, three, four families with big pockets doing everything. It's about all of us giving what we can unto the Lord and then seeing what Cypress Creek Church can do. So here's my final last and then I'll move on to the message. I would rather have 100% participation than 10% participation that meets the goal. 100% participation that does not meet the goal, then 10% participation that meets the goal because 100% participation is more important than $5 million. If you agree with me, can, can I hear an amen? So even if it's 20 or 40 or 50, whatever you can, the key thing here is pray. So two weeks, we'll see what God does. And again, we are looking simultaneously as to these three areas that we're called to sow into. Three areas that the Bible says, invest your time, invest your energy, invest your heartache, invest your resources into. The first is the family. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, and and some of you after this week are like, oof, well, I need to invest a little bit more on family after hanging out with extended family, or extended family needs to start listening to what church has to say. You know, whatever 
your family looks like. We're called to invest there. And then last week we looked at how to invest, how to be wise stewards of our financial resources. This week we'll look at the second area, and that's the church. We're called to sow into the church. You are doing that right now with your time. You are present. We are gathered together in the Lord's Day Sunday. That's why we're going to meet on December 24th and December 31st, because as far as it depends on me and the overseers, this church building will be open on God's Day on Sunday morning. If no one comes up, we'll have a wonderful time praising God, reading his word, and uh, hanging out together maybe with some hot chocolate. And so we are called to sow into the Church. Now, one of the things that the church does is we confess our sins, and so I have a confession to make before all of you. Last week, I, I railed on Black Friday. If you were here, maybe you felt that condemnation, you know? Uh, there's a difference between guilt and conviction. We'll all talk about that through this message, but, but I, uh, I, I, I caved in. And I bought something. Now, it wasn't on Black Friday. It was actually on Wednesday, but it was a Black Friday deal. I know this because whenever I went into the sporting goods store, I uh, asked the person, hey, I'm looking for this pigskin. And uh, the, the, the lady said, sir, this is not on the, you know, it's not in the aisle. And I said, but it's online. And it says that you have one. And, and so then she was hiding it for Black Friday. True story. But she gave it to me anyway, 30% off. And uh, I needed to buy this because my boys are getting older and we've been missing a tradition in our Thanksgiving dinner. And that is a good old game of pigskin. And so we started the tradition, and it ended at the right time, meaning the littles were crying, but the old people weren't hurt yet. And so it ended at the perfect amount of time, and I brought it because this morning as we talk about church, we really are a team. We are, we are on mission together, and we each have positions to play, and we have a game plan that's been given to us. And one of my favorite things about playing this game, I started when I was 13 in Miami in the school that I was at. No one really played this football. Everybody played the other one, the real one, you know, that you actually use your foot for. Uh, you only, two players only hit it with their foot. I'm just saying it's American football to most of the world for a reason. I started playing because coach said, hey, you're, uh, you can run, you can catch, you're, you're on the team and slap some pads. And uh, I, I loved it. I fell in love with the game. And one of the things that I love the most was pregame. Pregame meal, right? You get out of school early and you get to eat with your friends. And then that pregame speech when the coach gathers everybody in the locker room and says, all right, team, you know the game plan. You've been practicing. Here we go. We're about to go out there on the field and execute the game plan. And, and, and it's together as a whole. It's not just one player together. And, and we can do it. And everyone's like, yeah, we can do it. Yeah. And then you get all riled up and you hit the tunnel. And then you either win or lose like the Aggies did this weekend. <laughs> but the Longhorns won. The Texas State Bobcats won. And what about them Wimberley Texans running through playoff season? Sometimes you win, and other times you lose. And here's the thing. In life, this is our pregame speech. Sunday morning is our pregame speech. We come, we gather. We, you, you sit, I stand, or whoever's up here stands, and we go over the game plan. What does this say about what we are to do out there? Because the game is not this. This is pregame. The game is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's real life 
out there on our jobs, in our schools, wherever God may have us. And if you're wondering when is halftime, I'm about to tell you. It's when we huddle together in homes all throughout the week in multiple cities and counties. We call them community groups. When we can show up and say, you know what? Man, I I fell short. I I missed that catch or I missed the blocker. You know what? I just feel like giving up. We huddle together so that we can encourage each other and say, hey, you got this. Hey, I'm with you. We all need it. We all are on the same team. And so this morning, I hope to encourage us. If you are just starting out your faith, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read through most of it because it has the keys on how to build a strong team, how to be a strong church where we each have our positions and we're able to execute out there in life because we have a real opponent and he is mean and his name is the devil. In First Peter, it says this. He says that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But, it, but, but Peter writes, stand firm. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. I love this. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. My wife has great hands. She's a great athlete, plays better volleyball than me. For now, we still got time. So my hope this morning, wherever you are, you may feel like you're under attack or you may be starting out your faith and, and be wanting to strengthen your faith. We get to do this together. The church started in the most significant time moment in human history. Christmas is perhaps an important moment. It's when Christ became flesh, when, when God the creator became flesh. Next week, we'll have the Christmas trees and it'll feel all good up in this place and, and getting ready to celebrate the incarnation. And, and then Jesus died on a cross and he resurrected from the dead and, and he hung out with his disciples and his disciples were pumped that Jesus came back. It was like the superstar athlete came back from a season-ending injury and they thought, finally, he's back and we're going to win, baby. It's going to be game over. See you later, Satan. We're good. And then Jesus said, nope, I'm going up. I'm ascending into heaven. The incarnation ended. The uh, uh, ascension happened so that the impartation of the Holy Spirit can come upon all who believe in Jesus in this incredible experiment called the Church of Jesus Christ. Multi-ethnic, diverse, crossover boundaries, different cultures, all who believe in Jesus started this thing called the church. And here we are thousands of years later, still a strong church. We have what we need, and it's found in Ephesians chapter four on how to build a strong church. I'm going to start in verse one. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. So Paul is in prison. Paul is one of the apostles. He was uh, so crucial in the beginning of the church. Now he's in prison, but he's writing to this church in Ephesus. And he's saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the 
unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. A lot of ones here, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, father of all, who is over all and through all and all. Here's the point. We are all called. The first key to knowing how to build a strong church, how to be a part of a strong church is to know that we are all called. We're all called to be on the team. You made it. If, if you're feeling down right now, if you're feeling discouraged after a hard time with family, just know this, that the God who created you wants you on a team. And it's a team filled with imperfect people like me. That's the con. But the pro is that the creator, one God, one spirit has called us to one body through one baptism to be a part of his team. Now, not all answer the call. That's between each of us and the Lord. But the Bible is clear that he desires all to be saved. Jesus died for all. And the universal calling is this. Believe in Jesus. Have faith in him. Live for him. Receive this free gift of grace that he paid for on the cross and, and, and receive the promise of everlasting life through his resurrection and give your life over to him. That's the universal call. In verse seven, Paul writes, but grace. So one God, but then grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And then it goes on to talk about the ascension of Jesus. Again, Jesus ascended into heaven so that his Holy Spirit can descend and his Holy Spirit can be imparted to all believers so that we now can get on that field, so that we can go out and be his disciples. So Grace was given to each one of us. There's a universal call and there's a unique call for each of our lives. In fact, there's a unique call in different seasons of our lives. These are our positions. We're called to complement one another through these different positions, these different gifts that he gives to each of us according to the measure of his plan and his grace so that we can complement one another, not compete with one another. Too often we do two things. Instead of compliment in the church, we compete and we compare. And we compete a lot of the times because we compare. We think I can do better than him or her or I can do that or I, I feel like I'm, you know, not seen. But he, in verse 11, Paul gives us the secret to complimenting one another. He says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are five spiritual gifts. There are more in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4. And, and this is the purpose of the gifts, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. I love this, to maturity to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by that offensive lineman or that linebacker that is just manhandling us in life, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. He's saying we need one another 
so that we can complement one another, so that we can grow each, each individually and then collectively. It's a whole versus just one person. I do love that Scarlett is up here because she's not often here because she's over there blessing our children. Can we thank our kids pastor for all that she does for our kids? And now you may be wondering if she's here, who's over there? Well, we're called to compliment one another. So she's raised a team so that it's not her all the time. That's the whole point. It gets very dangerous when we play fantasy football in church. You know what I'm talking about? When we now hire, we, we get our, our team. If you're like, what? Here, here's what fantasy football is. You, you do a draft, you individually, and then you select these players to be on your team. And then you bet a lot of money with your friends and your family, which leads to all sorts of other issues. Hello? But anyway, that's not, uh, I'm getting off track. And, and so then you watch the football game. Here's my point. And who are you watching? You're not now going for the team. Who do you want? You want the individual to win. We do the same thing in church when we don't complement one another. We get focused in people. We listen to the best preaching and the best, best teaching out there. Here's the thing. All of that is wonderful. Check it out. Listen to it. YouTube, podcast, it's all there. But locally, we're called to exercise our gifts so that we can be a local expression of the body of Christ to complement one another, also to compensate one another in uh, our weaknesses and our strengths. And if you're wondering, well, what is my gift? Here's what I'm going to share with you quickly. Get in the game and find out. Exercise the gifts. Try encouraging. Serve in kids' ministry. Check out hospitality. Go usher. There are different ways that we can serve here on Sunday morning and then out there. Try gifts out. And whenever you feel like, wow, I really am meant for this, then you know it is not you. It is the Holy Spirit in you that is working in your Life. There is a man that I want to show off quickly because he started a movement. You've probably never heard of him, but he got in the game. His name is Ludwig von Zinzendorf. He's a German count. He had a lot of money inherited from his grandma. He lived in the 1700s and he had a lot of land and he was unashamed about the gospel, sold out to Jesus. And so he said, Lord, I'm offering this to you. And there are three things that healthy churches do. Healthy churches are about saving the lost. Healthy churches are about strengthening believers and healthy churches are about serving the vulnerable. If you have breath in your lungs, you have, are, or will be vulnerable. Uh, you will need to receive help in any sort of way. That's what we're about. We want to be after the lost, like me, who was reached out by someone in this church many years ago and introduced to Jesus. And we want to strengthen each other up and we want to uh, serve the vulnerable. That's what he did. He found out that there were a group in the Czech Republic called the Moravians. And before Martin Luther and the Reformation, they, they were actually super solid about only uh, uh, grace, uh, uh, sorry, salvation by faith alone, by grace alone. 
uh, and, and they were serious about the word of God. Anyway, they were exiled from Moravia and they settled in his estate. And so he sought refuge for this group and they started a movement. This is a picture of Hernhutz, the city, small city that you've probably never heard of in Germany. That's his little bust right there. And then under what? A beautiful oak tree, or if it's not an oak tree, someone correct me. It is some sort of tree in a simple church, simple church, simple message, the gospel, but serious faith. They complimented one another. One of the things that they did is they prayed without ceasing for 100 years. They committed to a prayer chain. If my, if my slot was from 1 to 2 a.m., then someone would come and make sure that I was awake around 1.50, and uh, then I'd take the baton and I'd pray for 100 years. You won't read this in your history books, but you see it all around because they sent missionaries over to the United States, and uh, he has this quote attributed to him, Zinzendorf said that there can be no Christianity without community. He knew that it wasn't a solo sport, that it was all of us called to do our part in this. And on this missionary journey from Germany to the States in the 1700s, he met a guy better known than him called John Wesley. And John Wesley was in the middle of the storm on this ship with these Moravians. And John Wesley was with the Anglicans and they were afraid literally to death. And then they looked over at the Moravians. And here is what he wrote, John Wesley, in his journal in 1736. In the midst of the psalm, wherewith their service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks. The Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? And he answered, I thank God, no. And I asked, but were not your women and your children afraid? And he replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. The storm was boisterous, but the Moravians kept praising God. Finally, the storm subsided. John Wesley was blessed and formed significantly by these Moravians who were sold out of your faith. What is my point? They complimented one another. They weren't competing. Your church, my church, your denomination, my denomination. We're also called to do that in the larger C church. This church has a personality. It may not be for everybody, but it has a unique flavor and personality that's called to bless the community. More on that next week, but we got to keep moving. What Zinzendorf had and when Wesley had was deep conviction. Here's what Paul writes in verse 15. Rather, so instead of being tossed to and fro like that storm was doing to that ship, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it's, it builds itself up in love. See, as each part does its own special work as we do what? Speak the truth in love. We need conviction. Conviction is speak the truth and also conviction to love. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is teaching us in our own life to lean more on one or the other right now. It's a never ending dance, but the Spirit leads us. Hey, you need to be stronger in truth. 
here. Hey, you need to be stronger in grace in this area. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you because what happens when we get off balance is we become more like the world does. We get mean. We, we get calloused. We get hard, especially if we're on that truth side. If we're too much in the love side, we acquiesce God's truth and, and we become like the wind. Whatever comes is good. And as long as it's in the name of love, it's all good. Love has a name and his name is Jesus. And he was the perfect balance of grace and truth. We need conviction. And many of you I know are here have experienced hurt from inside of the church. And that happens when we don't get that balance between grace and truth. And so for what it's worth as a leader of a church, I want to ask for your sincere forgiveness because that is not God's heart. We are a group of imperfect people, but we need to stay solid on following the only perfect Savior, and that's Jesus. And he was full of grace. Moving on, uh, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Paul talks about the, the, the callousness of the world and, and how we're called to be set apart. And then in verse 20, he, he calls us to a different way of life. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. And then he goes on to talk about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. I'll never forget making that varsity team in high school and putting on the varsity uniform. You know what that's like maybe in a sport or maybe you got that work uniform that you were waiting to just put on that polo or you got that suit on for the first time and you're like, this feels good. You're vested in authority. We also have a uniform and it has more, of, it has more to do with who we are than what we actually do. It's called culture. And uh, Peter Drucker says that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So we need to be focused more on becoming like Jesus than doing for Jesus. And, and I just want to quickly give you through the end of Ephesians 4, here are the attributes of the culture that he's calling us to live out. This is what a healthy culture looks like, to speak the truth. Stay calm. And in, in the Bible, it says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says don't let your anger create a bad response. We can be angry at unrighteousness. We can be angry at injustice. Just don't act in your anger. Stay calm. Work hard. Be generous. Build others up. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, but yield to the Spirit. Give to him what's his. Put away the old and then be kind, compassionate. Another word for that is tenderhearted and forgiving. I just want to say that this church has a lot of this. I'm grateful for that. Let's keep it up. Let's continue to cultivate this culture here in this place so that we can be a strong church. Let's put up those uh, points one more time. Strong church calling maybe this morning. You heard the call, and your job is to say yes and to suit up and to be on his team. Maybe it's to figure out what your position is, to try out a, a gift, to compliment one another. Maybe it's to hear that conviction in your heart, be a little more loving or more truthful in a relationship or in an area or 
to put on this new uniform and practice this culture that we are called out to give. Here's the deal. We cannot give what we haven't first received. And Jesus says this in John 13, 34 through 35, speaking to the disciples before the beginning of the church, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my church, my disciples, if you love one another. If you're able, please stand as we close in prayer. We thank you, Jesus, that we get to be a part of your team. We thank you for the way that you have paid the price for our sins through the cross, that you have given us and promised us everlasting life through your resurrection, and now have given us an opportunity to serve you alongside one another. We thank you, Father, for the gift of the church. And we pray that you would strengthen us collectively, that we would follow where your spirit is guiding us so that we can become more like you, Jesus, in this community. So that when other people see those of us that call Cypress Creek Church our home, they may not see us or they may not see Cypress Creek Church, but they may see you. I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray for all the things that need to happen so that we can get in the game. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we pray and sing this last song, I want to invite you. There are people here to pray for you to my left, to my right. After this song, Rhonda will come up and she will lead us in prayer for the fourth point in our prayer gathering. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.